I mean, maybe you've seen them around, or maybe you grew up kind of reciting them, or you just roll your eyes when you see them, or maybe you don't quite know what they are, but does anybody here know the Ten Commandments? I'm not going to call on you. It's okay. It's okay. Anybody know the Ten Commandments? I mean, I remember seeing the movie, The Ten Commandments, starring Charlton Heston. used to be on every Easter when I was growing up for some reason, I guess. Now, when I was growing up, I thought the Ten Commandments were like the easiest rules, really, to keep. I mean, don't murder, don't steal, go to church, check, check, check. I mean, I mean, honoring my father and mother was a difficult one, to be honest with you, if I'm being real. But I wasn't coveting anything. At least I didn't think I was because I didn't know what coveting meant. But it means, oh, you want what somebody else has. And then I realized, yeah, I do that all the time. But the Ten Commandments come from Exodus 20, kind of early part of the Bible, Old Testament. It's actually in the second book of the Bible. And the people of Israel had just been rescued by God from slavery in Egypt, which is pretty cool to being rescued by God himself. So they got out of Egypt and God is still providing all sorts of things for them, providing food, providing water. And then Moses, this guy that God kind of used to help lead the people out of Egypt, Moses went up a mountain to get kind of further instructions from God. And that's where the Ten Commandments come from, this conversation that Moses has with God. So honor your father and mother, and don't murder, and don't steal, and all of that. But there are actually two commandments that come before any of those commandments. They're commandments we forget about all the time, and when we're reciting them, when we think about, we don't think that they're even that big of a deal. Here they are. This is Exodus 20, starting at verse 3. You must not have any other God but me. That's number one. You must not have any other God but me. Number two, you must not make... For yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea, which is everything, everywhere, no matter where you think, heavens, earth, sea, don't make an idol from there. And if you look at the Ten Commandments kind of like rules, like I did when I was growing up, I think we miss it a little bit. You know, God is saying, listen, if you follow me, don't have any other gods at all. Not before me, not like I'm first and everybody else is second, like don't have any of them at all. God's not interested in being the top of our priority list. He's interested in being the priority list. You know, God's not interested in being kind of the CEO, you know, the board of directors or whatever. He's interested in being the whole board, the conference room, the chairs, the table, the little phone that we didn't use before COVID that was sat in the middle of the table. He wants to be all of it. And so he gives us these guidelines to help people who follow him. And he gave them thousands of years ago, but just like today, I think it starts with this really important idea. Don't have any other God but me. That's what he says. So what does it mean to have any other God but God? Well, there's a fancy term for it. Here's the fancy term. It's baked right into that verse, idolatry. And God says it pretty clearly. He just says, don't. That's it. Don't do it. You want to know something funny? So Moses is up on kind of the top of this mountain, and he's talking to God about making idols. You know what's happening at the bottom of the mountain? They're making idols. Like at that, it's like catching a kid in the act of like getting a cookie out of the cookie jar, and you're like, what are you doing? They're like, nothing. It's exactly like that. Here's another example of what I think is hilarious. So that movie, The Ten Commandments, which is a movie about God telling Moses not to have idols, it was nominated for an Academy Award, which is a golden statue. (laughs) 
See, we think that this is kind of an idol, right? Like Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, idols are from a long time ago. Idols are golden statues that we would never make, let alone honor or follow or worship. But God makes this point pretty clearly. Look, the entirety of creation, only one God operates it. One God over everything. That's it. He's the one who can help us, guide us, shelter us, strengthen us, satisfy us, save us. He's like Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's our only hope. Thanks for coming with me. Appreciate it. Now, you might be thinking, okay, I don't have any, I don't have any other gods. Like, I don't have you know, idols in my home. We, we actually sometimes struggle because we don't think that this matters. Because, you know, we read the Bible maybe, or you just go through life and you think, I don't have, you know, these gods with kind of weird Bible names and weird cult worship and chants and dress all funny and, you know, all that type of thing. But I believe that idolatry is far more normal than that. Anything in the world, anything in the world, remember, heavens, seas, earth, anything can be made into an idol. And so we, we find something that kind of gives us hope or gives us peace or gives us sustenance or whatever that is. It gives us these things. And without realizing it, we kind of take this hammer and we start hammering away at it. And before we understand it, before we see it, before it's too late, an idol has been created in our hearts. This is 1 John 5, 21. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Keep away from anything, anything. I think this is an amazing definition of an idol. How would you define an idol? Anything that replaces God. So do you have an idol in your life that replaces God? Well, that's a different matter. That's a little bit more uncomfortable. I don't really like that. You know, before we say nope, end of discussion, I don't really want to do that. Let me ask you just a couple of questions, just to kind of get you thinking about it, just marinating in this idea. What helps you the most? What guides you the most? What shelters you or strengthens you or satisfies you the most? Where do you find your hope? Is it God or is it literally anything else? Let's do another round of it. What disappoints you? Where, where do you celebrate? What do you celebrate? What do you complain about? What financial decisions and sacrifices do you make and why? What worries you? Where do you go when you're hurting? What infuriates you? What do you hope for? What do you talk about? What do you post on social media? What do you dream about? See, these are questions that all kind of guide us about things in our heart, things that matter to us, our, our heart's desire. And I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that Jesus needs to be like kind of the kindergarten answer for all of that. That's not what I'm saying. Like, Jesus! And you're like, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if I'm being brutally honest with myself as I answer those questions, I'm probably going to find a whole lot of stuff that replaces God in my life and in my heart. Are you with me? See, some idols, I think, are actually even easy for us to predict. You know, they're the things that we, we see in other people that we don't really like. See, people who care more about success than anything else, or people who are power hungry, or people who are greedy, money crazed people, you know, you know, sex addicted people, and we go, oh, you know, that's idolatry. But remember, it's anything that replaces God in our heart. 
anything. See, we have all of these priorities, hopes, dreams in our life, and they're everyday kind of priorities. They're things that we think about every day, but they turn into idols. Sometimes they're inherently good things. They're things that we should be talking about, that we should be interacting with, posting about, encouraging other people in. They're inherently good things in our lives, but if we're not careful, they become a replacement for God. Here's some examples. We find more satisfaction in the new house, in the new car, than we do in a new follower of Jesus. We find more joy and peace and love in a romantic relationship than we do in spiritual things. And we sacrifice to go on vacation, but we refuse to be generous in other ways. We put effort and find value in closing the deal or parenting or getting the job promotion. All these things that are even good, but we find these kind of emotional health type things in that. And it's not rooted in God, it's rooted in other people or in other things. Or some of the negative part of that, maybe we're overcome by addiction or hurts or past or abuse, or we're ruled by how other people see us, or we allow our circumstances that will change, that always change, to control our lives. See, we take these things, some of them really, really, really good things, and we make them our God. And that's what we're talking about in this series. We're calling it Everyday Priorities, and they're these things that we think about, that we put on our calendar, that we pray about, that we talk to other people about but sometimes they become more important than God. So do you have anything in your life that replaces God? So I have to admit to you, really, really, really nervous about this series. Like I've been working on it, been praying about it, been writing it, and it doesn't pull any punches. I'm surprised you don't see a black eye right now. It's been really, really difficult. Kind of gets all up in my personal space. And I'm like, six feet, man, like, And over the next four weeks, I think most of us, if not all of us, will be offended in some way, which is super fun for the fellow up here doing the offending. (laughs) It's terrifying, actually, for me, because we're going to get right into these things that we don't like to talk about, that we even say we shouldn't talk about in church, that we'd prefer to kind of keep them right there where we want them behind the scenes, not address them. But here, here, here's what I mean. Here are the four topics that we're going to talk about in this series. Politics, religion, family, self. Thought maybe you'd throw something at me. Yeah, we're going to talk about politics in church. And you're like, well, I don't want to do that. Well, you're already here, so we're doing it today. Now, I'd much rather talk about stuff that makes me feel good, to be honest with you. I mean, who wants to talk about stuff like this, that get challenged like this? Or maybe you're thinking, you know what? Family isn't a bad thing. It's a really good thing, and I agree. You know, taking care of yourself isn't a bad thing. That's a good thing, and, and, and I agree. And religion, dude, do you not know that you work in a church? Like, all of that is fair. All of that is true. But I think that these four things are kind of examples. They're kind of categories of things that we think about, talk about, argue about, worry about, post about every day. They're everyday type of priorities. But remember, see, 1 John 5, 21, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. So why do this series? Well, I think if you start digging in our lives, if you start paying attention to our lives, the hard stuff, 
or where we get confused or where we struggle or where we kind of feel that tension or where we go, I don't want to listen to that or where we get angry or whatever that is, where we start struggling in our lives. If you dig, you're going to find an idol. And they're subtle idols. They're everyday priorities that seem good and are good until they replace God. And anything that replaces God leads us towards discouragement. It leads us toward destruction. It leads us toward despair. And so today, we're going to talk about the idol of politics. But before I get into it, I have a disclaimer. Check this out. Warning, the content you're about to hear is not about American Idol. It's not about Billy Idol or the BTS song named Idol. The content is not specifically designed to offend just Republicans, just Democrats, or just Independents. We are equal opportunity offenders. Viewer discretion is advised. Equal opportunity offenders. All right, here we go. Take a deep breath. I need one. Why is politics an idol? Well, have you heard kind of the phrase, there's more division in politics today than ever before? Have you heard a phrase kind of like that over the last couple of years? I have no idea if that's true, actually. But I do know that we debate and we argue and we actually even decide on relationships based on which political party we identify with or which side of the aisle we relate to more. See, we even get to the point that if someone says out loud that they're a Republican or that they're a Democrat or that they're an independent, we immediately kind of make some conclusions about who they are, what they believe. We label them. Here are real things that I read on social media this week. Here are real things. If you're a Republican, you must be a bigot. I read that from a friend of mine. If you're a Democrat, you also want to infringe on my freedom. I read that from a friend of mine. Not the same friend. That would be weird. If you're an independent, you're a fool who wasted your vote. Real things that I read. Why? Why would we say things like this? I believe one of the reasons we do is because we actually get this a little turned around, a little confused, and we think hope, that hope comes from the right president, or hope comes from the right policy, or hope comes from the right political view. And if, oh, you know, the only if the entire world could see things the way I see things, then everything would be all right. And we get confused. Here's how I'd summarize it. We think politics gives us hope. And we worry about these things that are going on, these important things that are going on, debt ceiling, COVID protocols, foreign trade, the next election, the next policy. And listen, hear me, those things are incredibly important, actually. Very, very, very important, but they're not more important than God. And some, somehow, somewhere, we lose God in the middle of all of it. And we really genuinely think, hey, if things go this very specific way, that we have hope. And we replace the hope that comes from God with the hope that comes from political ideology. Uncomfortable yet? Now check out Matthew 6. We're going to start in verse 31. This is kind of in the middle of Jesus talking. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Really famous kind of 
chunk of Jesus' teaching. And he's teaching about all sorts of different things, what it means to be blessed and happy, what it means to follow, about anger, about adultery, about divorce, revenge, love, generosity, prayer, money, all of the above he talks about in this sermon. But all of these things that we're about to read, they're right smack dab in the middle of this section of money and possessions and worrying about everyday priority and where we're going to get our hope and where we're going to receive what God wants us to receive. You know, where's my food going to come from? Where are my clothes going to come from? And this is what Jesus says. This is Matthew 6, verse 31. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. And this is true in that today's trouble is enough for today. So let's put this kind of into the context today. You know, what are we caring about? What are we worrying about? What are we thinking about? What do we think needs provided for us? What type of policy should America have on immigration What type of policy? Should it be a big government, small government, religious freedom? What would Jesus say if he were here right now, today, to us about politics? Because here's the thing, here's the rub. Politicians on both sides of the aisle believe in Jesus and talk about Jesus. They believe in the Bible and talk about the Bible. Not all of them on both sides. But we argue, no matter which side we're on, that God is on our side, don't we? So we're going to put verse 33 back up. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. See, this applies today. It doesn't matter what's going on in our lives. It doesn't matter really what you believe or where you're coming from. Seek first the kingdom of God, then politics, then religion, then family, then self, then policy, whatever then your view on anything else. Seek first the kingdom of God. And this is where idolatry, I think, can kind of sneak up on us because we actually flip this upside down, don't we? We often seek first our politics or our opinions or our feelings and then see how God aligns with them. Listen, if you agree with every single point or every single kind of talking ideology of a political party, I I think that that should give us pause. Every single one. And that's not impossible. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, hey, seek first the kingdom of God. And I'm not saying that because I'm a donkey or I'm an elephant. Which, by the way, who picked those out? Have you seen an elephant walking around outside of a zoo in America? I was thinking eagle or bear. That's what I would have chosen, I think. If you agree with every single talking point it might be an indication that your hope is coming from somewhere else. And that you're seeking first a different kingdom, maybe ruled by a different ruler or a different king. Here's kind of what I mean. Seek first the kingdom of God in everything, right? In our politics, no matter what. Seek first the kingdom of God. You know, all of these other things that we talk about here in a church, we talk about how to love others, how to be kind, how to be generous, that the Holy Spirit is real and loves us and helps us. These are kind of the, just a summary of the last six or seven weeks here at the Ridge. 
See, all of these things are about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God should inform, should change, should impact the way that we interact with everything else. So if we're called as followers of Jesus to love others, then what should our politics inherently do? Love others. And I know that that is an incredibly, stupidly simplified way to think about it. That's fair. But I think that that's why it's so difficult. Because we have very different beliefs on if something is loving or if something is right or how that should play out in the political arena. So I was thinking, how do we kind of sift through this? No matter what we believe, no matter where we're coming from, how, how do we dig into this in a way that challenges us today? Well, here's this question. It's really just how do we seek first the kingdom of God in our politics? And we're going to talk about three things that I think apply to all of us, no matter what, and no matter what's going on in our lives. If we really believe that we should make God first in our lives, that his kingdom is first, that nothing else should replace him in our lives, how do we do that in a day like today where we're like one click away, you know, from somebody who believes the exact opposite of what we believe? They're our friends. They're our family. What do we do? Well, the first thing, pray for our leaders. Leaders are real people. You know, flesh and blood, and they have mommies and daddies. And if we remove ourselves, sometimes we kind of remove ourselves too far, or we forget, we see them in a certain context, or on the screen, or whatever, or through their policy, or through their, their affiliations, and we, we, we stop seeing them as people. This happens all over the place in all sorts of different contexts. Here's an example. Recently, my dad and I went to a, a college football game in Bloomington. We were there to root on IU homecoming weekend a couple of weekends ago. And it was a really close game with Michigan State. It was towards the end of the game. And IU still had a, had a shot. At least I believed that they still had a shot. And then an IU player was hurt on the field. And I think some people probably thought, okay, so he's hurt on the field to kind of get them a, a free timeout, you know? But there's this Michigan State fan, kind of just a couple of rows in front of me, and he was just booing, just incessantly booing, cussing, cursing, screaming. I think the entire stadium knew that this guy did not approve of what was going on. Boo, like you, let's go at it. And then like a run row over from the Michigan State fan was another fan who kind of whipped around and started yelling and screaming at that guy. And he said, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna like remove all the cursing and you know, I'll filter it a little bit. But he said, hey, that kid out there is 18, he's 19 years old, his mom and dad are probably here because it's homecoming. How dare you, sir? He is a real person. You're like 60 years old and he's like 18 years old. How do you, how do you treat somebody like that? And then everybody around there was like kind of applauding him, like, yeah, good for you. And that guy sat down and stopped booing. Now, do I think that the 19-year-old kid was playing injured to get a free timeout? Well, he came in the next play, so probably, yeah. <laughs> but we forget this, don't we? We forget that that's a real person under the helmet. Or we forget that it's a real leader, that's a real person. You know, that a politician, a president, an administrator, a teacher, whatever, is a real human being. And here's the thing. 
He loves, God loves the politician that you can't stand just as much as he loves you. He loves you just as much. And see, this last series at the Ridge, we talked about how we believe the Holy Spirit can do amazing things in us and through us. How incredible would it be if every single politician was responding to the Holy Spirit in their lives? It'd be pretty incredible. We can pray for that. How incredible would it be if every single leader in the entire world was impacted by the Holy Spirit? We can pray for that. They're real people that God loves, that wants to do the right thing, whether we define the right thing as right or not. How can we see, seek God's kingdom in politics? Well, I think we have to start with just prayer, letting God be God. Pray for leaders like they're people who God created and that God loves. So that's the first thing. Pray. Here's the second thing. I think it kind of goes hand in hand with praying. Treat others the way you want to be treated. This isn't brand new stuff. You've heard it before. We have a name for it. We call it the golden rule. We think that this is true. We like this. We just don't always do it. I mean, the fact is we don't always treat others the way that we would want to be treated doing, especially when we disagree with them. And I think that shows kind of maybe something going on in our heart, something replacing God in our heart. It's rooted deeply in us. If we are unable to treat somebody else the way that we would want to be treated, it should give us pause because we, we kind of yell like, like that fan did. We, we curse, we, we do all these things, but we do them at leaders and we post terribly nasty things about people and we call people names and maybe you're not doing those things. Maybe you, you like it when they do though. Or maybe you're standing by while it happens. And when it comes to politics and treating other people well, it's really difficult to live the golden rule out, isn't it? It's easy if you agree with somebody. It's hard when you don't. And I think God is challenging us. No, if we're seeking first the kingdom of God, we're praying for these leaders, and we're treating them with the love and the respect that we would hope to receive or we would hope our loved one would receive. And if you don't want to treat others the way that you want to be treated, like if you're in a context and you're really having trouble with it, and you're like, how? Why? I don't like it. I'm mad at you. Just ask why. Why don't you want to treat them the way that you want to be treated? I think there is significant power in that question. Why? Pray for our leaders. Treat them the way that you want to be treated. And here's the third way. Remember who is God and who isn't. Remember, like this whole thing, idolatry, was really talking about someone, something replacing God in our hearts. And we think that's where we find our hope. If somebody needs to hear this. Your political party is not the hope of the world. That doesn't mean it's bad. That doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just not the hope of the world. America is not the hope of the world. I love living here. I'm so thankful that I get to live here and the freedoms that we get to enjoy, that we get to gather together like we do here. But the problem is when we put anything above God. And sometimes we forget and we put hope in all these other things 
And your political party and America can definitely be a part of the hope of the world. As God works, as God moves. But remember, who is God and who isn't? See, the kingdom of man kind of shift and change and rise and fall. And I know it's hard for us to remember that. But these words kind of to seek God's kingdom first, it applies to all kingdoms. It applies to oligarchies, monarchies, democracies, republics. See, the kingdom doesn't belong to anyone other than God. The kingdom doesn't belong to a president. It doesn't belong to the person who has control of the house or the Senate. It doesn't belong to the queen of England or the nastiest dictator, or the best leader, or the worst leader. See, no, we're called to seek first the kingdom of God. And who's the king of kings? Jesus. And we drift into thinking that if this bill isn't passed, or if this person isn't voted in, there's no hope. And honestly, the, that way of thinking, I think, reveals kind of what we're talking about. That we believe that God isn't in control that it's up to us, that we've got to figure it all out. But remember, dear children, keep away from anything that might take the place of God's role in your heart. See, Jesus is the King of Kings. Jesus is the ruler we should follow. Seek first after Jesus, and then everything else follows that. All of your beliefs, all of your politics, all of your policies, all of your relationships, everything. Seek first the kingdom of God. He'll give you all you need. Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus, not man, conquered death. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose again. Jesus turned graves into gardens. Nobody else can do that. So how do we seek first the kingdom of God in our politics? I think we need to remember who's God and who isn't. Jesus, not man, is our hope. Jesus never lets us go. Jesus never lets us down. Jesus never gets it wrong. Jesus never has a selfish motive. Our hope for today and our hope for tomorrow, it isn't in anything other than Jesus. It isn't in politics. It isn't in policy. It isn't in relationships. It isn't in whoever is in an office. It's in the King of Kings. Jesus is the hope of the world. And he challenges us. Don't replace me with anything else. Seek first the kingdom of God. I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, come for you. I'm thankful for the way you love us. Thankful for the way you challenge us. Thankful for the way you lead us. And I know this concept of people replacing you, me replacing you in my heart for these other things in our lives, it's difficult. Help us seek after you in everything that we do. Help everything else follow who you are, what you would want us to do. Prompt us, guide us, lead us. And we're so thankful that we get to be a part of what you're doing, that even in what we believe and the politics that we think about and the president that we would have voted for, any of that, that you are in that, that you are God and that we're not, and that you are our hope, you are enough, and that you are good seeking the highest good for us. Thank you for Jesus and the cross 
and how that makes an impact on us in significant ways still today. And help us just acknowledge that you are first. Jesus, you are first. We'll follow you no matter what. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray today. Amen.